This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at cyphercast.net and follow us on Twitter at cyphercast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Dave. And we will be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing one spell. With playing the world's toys, we talk about the sooth deck. Join us on the path of suns and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast Playing with the World's Toys, we discuss the basic mechanics of of Invisible Sun. This time we're going to talk about how the Sooth deck works at the table. Now we've talked about the Sooth deck before, uh, but with the limitations of the NDA and just the limited information we had about how the mechanics of the game, we had to sort of wave our hands a bit and be vague. But now that the game is out and we can talk about the game in full, we can uh, discuss the Sooth deck again, uh, but also tie the mechanics of the Sooth deck more closely into the basic mechanics of the game so you can see how the, the deck will contribute to your actual game. The basics of the Sooth deck is that it's a deck of cards uh, of uh, 60, This represents four families, which are sort of like suits in a traditional poker deck, with 15 cards each. Each of the families uh, has uh, a series of associations. So there's the secrets family, represented by a particular sigil on the side of the card that eventually you'll either have to learn uh, or refer to the cardboard sooth uh, path of suns to translate for you. But the the first family is secrets. Uh, It is associated with ravens, books, and flame. And the uh, character heart associated with this uh, sooth family is the gallant. So gallants are going to like seeing these cards. Uh, The second family are visions associated with swans, blades, and water. Uh, The heart associated with this family are the empaths. Uh, the third family are the ra- uh, the mysteries, which are associated with rats, mirrors, and stone. That association with mirrors is pretty interesting, given the uh, strange lore of mirrors in the game. The mysteries family is associated with stoics. The final family is the notions. Notions are affiliated with cats, clocks, and the wind, and the uh, Heart associated with the notions family are the ardents. I have no idea how to keep track of which family matches with which heart. The uh, I can get halfway there. I'm still working on this myself. I usually try to refer to the the cardboard sooth. Uh, I'm sorry, path of suns when uh, it is in front of me. Yep. Otherwise, uh, when I'm playing and, and I'm playing online, let's say and I don't have that in front of me, um, I just wrote on the top of my character sheet which of the uh, symbols is associated with my particular character's heart. Uh, But that's something we'll have to be memorized. I I do know one trick to at least differentiating the different sigils is that each of the sigils has a different number of points. Yep. So you might just remember like three star versus five star or whatever it might. If if yours has got five points on it, you know which family it is. 
Yeah, so I, I guess I'm thinking about this as the GM. Like, I have no idea which which one is which. Uh, so I am using the the cardboard path of sun still. Um, but each family has a different symbol, and yeah, I still haven't come up with a good way to associate them. So, hey, if you're listening to this and you have a way to do it, so that I don't always need to have that cardboard uh, path of suns in front of me, like, let me know. Or, or some interesting mnemonic to me- yeah. to remember it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do we have like a an acronym? That sounds like a, a good user challenge. We'll crowdsource that question. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, one thing we probably should have mentioned before for those who are entirely new to this, uh, the Sooth deck, the, the cards themselves are not simply uh, listings of these families. Each is dominated by a piece of art. Mm-hmm. And each family was sort of delegated to a particular artist. So each of the four uh, families of cards has art in a different style, which is kind of interesting. The associations with each family, uh, say, you know, ravens, books, and flame for secrets, are elements that will more often appear in the art of those particular family cards. Uh, but you can use anything from those family cards as inspiration. They're, they're intended to provide inspiration for particular scenes, and you can kind of pick out whatever you want uh, from that card uh, uh, to, to introduce into a particular scene um, just to give you something to start from. I found it very useful in play to have that art where I can just grab uh, a particular uh, piece of it. Like when we were doing our brief uh, actual play example for development mode, uh, one of the cards came up and uh, I just grabbed the banner, which was not one of the main associations, or, uh, but it just worked in that particular scene uh, to grab that piece of, of the art to inspire what was going on in that scene of the story. Yeah, I had a similar similar way that I used them uh, at one of the games that I ran at Gen Con. The first three Sooth cards that I turned over all had mirrors in them. So I, I pulled mirrors into the scenes that, that we were going through. Um, but they were all new players, so the you know significance of mirrors in Invisible Sun wasn't, wasn't something that they had been thinking about. It was just an interesting little bit of flavor that I was able to drop in there for them. All right, so, so the family associations introduce systematic patterns that will know, like uh, rats, mirrors, and stone for mysteries, uh, that someone who hasn't read the lore or didn't read the, the book with the specific associations may not know, but they'll notice that pattern popping up, which just makes the game feel a little more magical. Uh, but there's other, other things that aren't even that systematic that might, you know, since the, even though the game is clearly not magic, uh, it just seems to inspire our pattern-seeking brains uh, with images that may be relevant to specific scenes in ways that are uh, beyond intended from the three associations with each of the families. Yep, uh, it's it's happened at my table several times. <laughs> but totally not magic. In addition to the base uh, numer- uh, numerical cards, which are represented with a 0 through 10, uh, nine, sorry, zero through nine on uh, the cards. There's also some royal cards for each of these families. And these have uh, special rules for them that I don't think we'll go into each of them in detail because it's there's six of them. Sovereign, Nemesis, Defender, Apprentice, Companion, and Adept. Uh, but know that those have special rules associated with those cards uh, to fill out the total deck of 60 cards. Uh, so e- I, I think we'd be able to touch on what these things do once we get into the actual mechanics. Okay. I will leave that to you. I don't have that list in front of me. That's also something I've not quite memorized yet. I know some of them because they've come up enough. 
Uh, but some oh, of them have come up I, rarely enough. I am flipping a sooth card and predicting the future that you're going to know. You're going to know when okay. we get to it. Oh, okay. Um, so that kind of hints at like how are these cards actually used? So you have you should have in front of you either digitally or uh, you know on the cardboard uh, Path of Suns or on the nice fabric Path of Suns an actual Path of Suns that you would play these cards onto each of the suns in order, starting from silver and working your way down to gold. Uh, after you filled the Path of Suns, the next card goes on to the Testament of Suns that. Uh, creepy and cool looking hand that came in the uh, the uh, black cube. Mm-hmm. That card will go on to the hand for everyone to see. Everyone you, except for you. <laughs> everyone except for one person that the hand will be facing away from. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like as cool as that hand looks, uh, every time I put a card on there, I'm like, well, uh, I need to remember what this card is. And now I'm never going to see it again. Yes. Um, I, I, I tend to play online, so we, we've got some workarounds for that. Uh, those who uh, watch uh, The Truth Bleeds at Twilight, the, the background graphic for the game is almost always just the Path of Suns. So I can mm-hmm. cheat that way when I'm a player. Yep. Uh, once you put a card in the Testament of Suns that is representing its placement on the Invisible Sun, it's, it stays in effect... Uh, even after you continue playing cards. So after you've gone gone through the whole path, you'll start the path over again um, and continue putting cards down to replace the old effects. Uh, But uh, you don't replace the Testament until you get, until you complete the path of sons a second time or never heard of someone completing it a third time. Uh, But hypothetically it could happen. I I went through the path twice at one of the Gen Con games. um, And wow. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, when you're supposed to play, play these cards in just a moment. But uh, one thing I found helpful was once I played a card on uh, the Testament, I would wipe off all the rest of the cards that were on the path already, just because uh, it reduced the clutter uh, that the players were looking at. So they were able to, you know, focus and figure out, oh, that's the card that's active. There's nothing on the path. So once you start playing those again, you have a nice clean path for them to, to look at. And it it makes sense to do that. One of the most common questions I see about the Sooth deck and the Path of Suns is whether effects are persistent. Mm-hmm. And the only effect that is persistent beyond the sun that like is the current sun is the testament. So if you put something down on the silver sun as you would at the start of the game, uh, when you put something down on the green sun, only the card on the green sun is in effect. Yep. Uh, and so the, the only exception to that is when you play something on the Testament of Sun, uh, Testament of Suns. I'm sorry. The, yeah. On, yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> on the Invisible Sun. Uh, it remains in effect and serves as a an underlying effect, even as you put something new on the silver and then the green and then the blue, etc. So uh, you, you aren't accumulating, uh, you know, four different card effects with your first card draws each is is uh, taking the most recent is always taking prominent or taking precedence uh except for that invisible sun yeah and there's a reason to leave the cards on the path as you're walking it uh but once you hit that invisible sun it seems like it, that's a good time to wipe the path and start clean i will probably do the same i've not done that before in part because i rarely get all the way through the testament because i'm a i'm a slow card turner <laughs> well when are you supposed to turn the cards scott that is a great question, uh, and you might even think that uh, segue was deliberate if you had much more faith in my abilities as a podcaster than I do. <laughs> so 
you are, there's a variety of triggers for turning a new card and the cards, the card turns in some sense are a, a good pace setting mechanic for the game. So when you move to a new location or in, or, uh, meet a new, uh, notable NPC, you would turn a card. If even uh, at the same location or interacting with the same NPC, if a significant event occurs, you turn a card. If something surprising happens, you turn a card. Uh, if you suffer a wound or an anguish, you turn a card. Whenever the GM introduces a GM shift, you turn a card. And uh, if you have if you have a flux uh, that is rolled on, during any particular challenge, you turn a card. In combat, you could even turn a card to represent the change for every round. Yeah, um, these are just suggestions, though. Yes, in the rules, it does point out that these are recommended times to change the card, and you should really go with, you can use this to set the pace you want to set for your game. So if you are really into the current Sooth card and uh, you're working through a scene and in the middle of that scene, someone rolls a flux, that doesn't mean you necessarily have to turn the, the Sooth card. If you're, if you're anchored to the current Sooth card, you can kind of ignore that for the moment. Uh, similarly, if you don't have one of these triggers, but things are dragging, um, the equivalent of the, of the uh, person kicking down the door with a gun is turning the Sooth deck. If things drag, turn the sooth deck, and that might might be enough to push you into a new scene or uh, some new event in the narrative. But you you should use this as a tool to keep your game moving and to regulate the pace of the game. Yeah, I found okay. So when I was running the Gen Con games, I was flipping a card for every round during action mode, and I found that really helped the players focus on what was happening and it made things seem a bit more urgent. Uh, so I really liked that. And I'll probably continue doing that once I get, you know, into more action modes uh, with, you know, my campaign that I'm going to be running at home. Uh, I liked, I liked changing the pace just by, you know, flipping a whole bunch of cards in quick succession. And we haven't talked a lot about combat mechanics in action mode yet, but in my experience, combat doesn't last a large number of rounds. So if you do turn every round, don't worry that you're going to be shuffling through four you know, four cycles of the Path of Suns. Uh, if you get that mm -hmm. far into action mode, people's going to die. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think when I was flipping them, <laughs> yeah, Vizleys are going to die if you do that. But I think I flipped like four or five at the most for any given action mode that we stepped yeah. into. But yeah, we should definitely talk about action mode and like what it means for combat because it's a it's slightly different. Biggest thing is there's no initiative. Yes, um, and so and I, I actually found the Path of Suns useful as a round indicator just to remind yeah. people now we're moving to another round. Yep, yeah, uh, that was like the biggest yeah. like the biggest helpful thing I found there was all right new round everybody what are you doing and turning the card has specific implications for all of the actions taken while that sooth card is in effect, uh, both during action mode and during uh, development or narrative mode. So it's, it's important to think about the mechanics of the cards uh, once you have turned them over, because they are going to change, in some cases, a great deal of what is going on. You can take these cards as seriously as, uh, as you want with the art on them, but there are some basic mechanics that are coded into the game itself. Mm -hmm. 
So the non-royal cards will have a number and a family and two sons listed on them. Usually. Usually. There is one that has only one son. Oh, okay. We'll get to it in a second. Yeah, I don't remember that one. But uh, yeah, typically they will have two sons, a family, and a number. The number can be used in development mode in lieu of dice. So you could, particularly in development mode, turn over a card. And if it's a nine, you're like, oh, you are very powerful this round. And your, your uh, actions are likely to be quite effective. And if you turn over a one, uh, oh, what you're doing right now is not likely to be very effective. It's the equivalent of a die roll. Uh, it's on the same range as your die rolls, uh, but as a simplification for development mode. In uh, If you're actually adjudicating uh, action or a challenge in narrative mode, the effects are a little more complex. The family gives whatever heart is related to the family plus one venture to their actions. This is also a reason to turn over the cards fairly frequently so that Everybody has a one in four chance to be empowered in any given round of combat or any given scene. Uh, So that's just a general bonus uh, to a family empowered by magic swelling up to support their particular heart in that scene. The two sons listed at the bottom of the card, uh, one is going to be kind of emboldened and the other is going to be somewhat grayed out. The emboldened uh, uh, son is going to be enhanced which you can choose to either make a spell uh, one level more effective or one sorcery cheaper to cast of that color. Anyone can do this, not just the empowered family. So if a card has an, has an emboldened green at the bottom, then spells that are keyed to the green sun uh, are either one level more powerful or one bene cheaper than they would otherwise be. Now, this is uh, easy for spells that you're using the cards for, because the cards will have the associated uh, sun on them. You may have to make some judgment calls in relation to weavers. And there, the GM will need to learn, and preferably the weaver player as well, the thematic associations of each sun. So they may know that a spell that creates is uh, going to be related to this the silver sun, and thus their weavings that create may be empowered. Their weavings focused on movement may be tied to the green sun, and thus the, a green sun empowerment might affect that type of weaving. But since they're using spontaneous magic, they won't have cards to look at to say, well, they don't have, that, that will say everything you do with this particular we, uh, weaving is going to be green or silver or pale or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. I don't think the aggregates have that written on them. No, no, it's no, no. on the fly, like everything they do. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I'd hoped it was. I, I'd hoped this it was the case. They were not written on there because yep. the weavings are m- much more flexible and are likely to cross over multiple sun effects. But you'll need to learn what the sun effects are to decide whether a weaving is empowered uh, or, con- on the contrary, diminished. Because the second sun is sort of a little bit grayed out, uh, and that indicates a sun that's waning. Uh, or is somehow more distant, and therefore any spell cast with that association is one level less effective or one bene more expensive to cast. Player's choice. Uh, this means that every round of combat or every new scene, whenever you turn over the cards, different spells and different effects are going to be empowered or disempowered. And I, players really like that sort of dynamism in the game 
where the things are, well, unless they're empowered and suddenly become disempowered, they, they don't like that in the short term. Um, but they, that sort of dynamism uh, inspires different strategies uh, and also just gives you a sense that you're living in a vibrant world where magic is flowing like the tides uh, and uh, you're having to ride those tides to take maximum uh, advantage of all of your spells and your uses of magic. I, I, people liked that uh, uh, overall. Yeah, when when they were talking about this in the Kickstarter and in the various updates, I wasn't sure how much of an impact this, you know, plus one or minus one was going to have. Uh, but it is actually pretty significant because you're only rolling, you know, zero through nine. So adding a one to that is a is a pretty significant change. Yeah, right about 10 percent. Uh, pretty close. I don't want to think about the maths. It's too early. <laughs> um, it gets more complicated with more than one die. That is true. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I guess it can get complicated. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but those some of that math we may get into when we talk about uh, actions, action mode, and the basic uh, venture resolution mechanic, which we need to put on our short list of things to talk about very soon. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> um, so the, 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 uh, to review, the basic card is going to have uh, a, a two suns at the bottom listed, one of which will be empowered uh, to give you make spells more effective or less costly, and one will be diminished, which will be either which will make spells less effective or more costly uh, at the player's choice. But again, these will turn over so that if a player is relying a lot on red magic. Uh, then it might be a bad round, but it won't likely be a bad session because you're turning over more cards. And they're going to have, so at some point, red will be empowered if you're turning over enough cards. Um, also, the, the sun that you play the card onto could uh, oh, yes. also modify how much it impacts the enhanced and the diminished suns. So if you play a card that enhances the red sun, onto the red sun, then instead of getting a plus one uh, to the level or making it one sorcery cheaper, it makes it plus two or two sorcery cheaper. And the same goes for the diminishment of the sun. So if it's a diminished diminished red sun, then red spells are even doubly diminished. So in addition to memorizing your notion symbols, uh, you'll need to memorize the order of the suns. You won't necessarily memorize their symbols, but the order is easier to remember. Uh, that one's pretty easy. I've got that down pretty well now, I think. As I say that, I'll make some mistake. But... There is one other thing. There are some cards in here that have only one sun on them, and that would be the Invisible Sun. Uh, so I'm looking at Enticing mm. Jewel, which is a Visions Family number two. And it has Invisible, which would be Enhanced. So that's going to modify all magic. And that does, that, that modifies, I wasn't sure if that, if it, I think some of the, did any, do any of the spells say invisible on them? Um, they, they may. Scott here from The Actuality with a quick update. Uh, there are spells that are tagged and under the invisible sun, which means that uh, sooth cards that empower or disempower the invisible sun should affect those cards specifically. We should talk very briefly about the royalty. Right. So in addition to the suns, sometimes if there are not suns at the bottom of the card, there are special royalty cards. And this, again, matches the tarot deck, which is the inspiration 
to some extent, of the Sooth deck, where there are numbered cards like the Four of Swords. Then there's like the uh, Queen of Swords as well. Well, in this case, the Royalty uh, come in six types. There's the Adept, and uh, actually, I'll, I'll list them all. And then there's the Adept, Companion, Apprentice, Defender, Nemesis, and Sovereign. Now, these have different effects for in each case. The Adept pushes you to, to uh, down the Path of Suns by simply saying, play another card on the next sun. So it is simply accelerating your progress through the Path of Suns. The Companion merely duplicates the previous card effect. So if you played a Companion on the green sun, you would use whatever effect was... Uh, uh, applied based on the silver sun previously played. The apprentice is negative one on all actions if your heart is linked to that sooth card's family. So if you are a um, an ardent, uh, if you play the uh, let's see what is it the the apprentice of notions, then all of your actions under that card will be. Uh, have a have a uh, negative one to their venture. The uh, flip side of this is the defender, which if your heart is linked, you'll get a plus one. So that ardent in uh, who gets a notions card, uh, notions defender will get a plus one on all actions. Uh, then of course you might guess that the scariest of these is the nemesis card. With a nemesis card, if your heart is linked to the family of that particular nemesis card, you're, uh, you're a minus two to all actions and everyone else is still minus one on all actions. Oof. Let me tell you how it, how it makes people feel when you put that on the Testament. Yes, it is right. It, it makes everything harder for, uh, for everyone, but particularly for the linked family for a very long time. Uh, the good news is, uh, there is also an opposite to the nemesis. There's the sovereign who, if you're, it gives everyone a plus one and a plus two if your heart is linked. And I can tell you, players love it when this one comes up on the Testament of Sons. Mm -hmm. Because if the Sovereign of, you know, the Sovereign of Notions goes up on the Testament of Sons, then everyone's ventures are plus one, and the Ardent's Notions are plus two for the length of the entire path uh, of of Sons, for, you know, for a good bit of gameplay. Yep. Um, that's that's a very popular card. So there, there's a whole section about the Sooth deck in the gate, which uh, goes into detail on all of the cards. Uh, so if you're wondering about like the divinatory meaning behind all the cards, there's some inspiration in there for you. Uh, and it lays out, you know, uh, the family and all sorts of other things in there. Uh, so that's a really good section to go to, uh, to get ideas for what you can do with the cards in addition to these mechanical like changes. Right, the the part of the uh, of the gate, as well as the insert in the sooth decks, if you've ordered that separately, uh, includes more than we've talked about. It's not just the representations of an animal like a, a a raven and a book and a flame for gallants. Each card has uh, thematic representations, whether it's uh, lost love or uh, uh, or you know success. Uh, or happiness, or things things along those lines, and you can use those themes as inspiration. Uh, that you could probably get some of that tone out of the art, uh, but you might. Some people will find it 
more inspiring or at least easier to be inspired by the words associated with the card. And you can pull those out of the gate um, or the insert with the sooth, with sooth deck. I think there's there's more in the gate than in the, the little little handout, yeah, uh, but it'll give you a sense. The gate is mostly sooth deck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and each card has a page. Yep. So there's a lot of information on each card that you can use to in, to figure out what how to draw some theme or inspiration out of the art uh, and the other elements of of the card as it is drawn. So there's this is one of the more uh, novel aspects of the game. Uh, of course, other games have had cards. Others have even used tarot cards as elements of their games, but this is fairly distinctive uh, from a lot of the other RPGs out there and is likely to be uh, new to people coming to Invisible Sun. So it's a, it's a fun uh, part of the game that you're not likely to have a lot of experience with in other games. Uh, it's also a flexible tool that you can use that has both mechanical implications um, and that you can use for pacing and other game kind of you know mastering tools uh, but inspiration from art and it's a very flexible tool that you can use for your game to keep the narrative momentum uh, moving as you are uh, uh, you know uh, playing a, a session of invisible sun have any last comments or additions on our discussion of the a more detailed discussion of the sooth deck no This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, it really helps us out. Uh, we also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and ha help people find us.